Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you all today. And uh, thank you for being here, gathered together today on the Lord's Day to worship the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Jay, for uh, that, that very kind and generous introduction. And uh, it is so good to be with you. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So go ahead and find that in your Bible if you would. And as you're making your way there. Let me just say, first of all, um, how thankful I am for this church. Uh, you may not realize this because quite a bit of time has passed, but oh my goodness, I'd have to sit here and really do the math on it. But the first church I served during a summer, the summer after my freshman year of college at, uh, at James Madison was Carrollton Baptist Church, which was just then a very brand new church in this area. And if memory serves correct, this church was part of kind of nurturing them in its early years. And then I think about Harvest Fellowship that was sent out. And of course, just so thankful for what you've, what the investment you made in a young man named Mark Turner. I was Mark's youth pastor in Virginia Beach and can remember when Mark was a very trying 12 year old. And, um, and, uh, but uh, I say that was seriously all the affection in the world. My wife and I just, I uh, love that family very dearly. In fact, uh, we were involved in planning a church now 21 years ago, and I pastored that church for 10 years. My family and I were still members of that church. That doesn't always, that doesn't always work out to stay in the church that you were the pastor of. Uh, it worked out fine for us, and probably because I'm gone almost every single Sunday. But uh, anyways, uh, but they've, uh, that church has been so good to us. In fact, my wife and my, my, several of my children will be there today. Um, I'll introduce my family in just a moment. But, but I mentioned Mark in context of the church we planted because the very first Sunday of our church meeting there in the Richmond area, Mark Turner came over. I think at that time he was still a student at William & Mary. And he came over, actually did led worship for us a few times. And, uh, and of course, I'm just so thankful for, for Pastor Ryan. And I commend you for investing in your pastors and his family with this time of rest in the Lord and, and rejuvenation for them. He serves on, on our executive board right now, so I'm thankful for Ryan doing that. Thank you for uh, allowing him to do that. And uh, as I've gotten to know Pastor Jay and, of course, Pastor Brian, some deeply appreciate them. Brian is in our doctor of ministry program. We have a partnership with Southeastern Seminary, and I know Dr. Aiken was here just the other week. And, um, and so I've enjoyed getting to know Brian in that context. And he's getting ready to work on his ministry project, which in the doctor of ministry program is their, their term for their dissertation. And, and uh, what a delightful team you have here. Appreciate your elders and and the leadership you have, even the folks greeting me on the way in. And it's so good to see you this morning. And uh, so I'm excited to be with you. Thank you, thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Uh, Jay mentioned the SBCV right now. I'd be praying for about 90 church plants that we have that are five years or younger across the Commonwealth of Virginia. We have uh, several dozen churches we're working with hands-on in church revitalization. Through your partnership, we see about 3,500 international missionaries on the field right now all around the world. And so thank you for what you uh, give through and support through your missions giving, through the Quad Program and missions. And, and of course, I think about Mark planting that church up in Philadelphia, seeing churches planted in every major city. And don't forget where you live. 
This Hampton Roads area is near and dear to my heart. As I mentioned, my, the first place I ever kind of launched out and doing some ministry was on this side of the James River. But I spent most of my life growing up, my first 18 years, on the other side of the James River. My dad was a 40-year-plus uh, uh, engineer, master shipbuilder at the Newport News shipbuilding there across the James River. Lived in Newport News. So this area is near and dear to my heart. And I'll give you just one other statistics to, uh, statistic to be praying about for this area and the mission work here. We have over 100,000 Spanish-speaking people now that live in Hampton Roads. And you may have figured that out. But I mention that because we have a tremendous need to reach the folks that live right here in your neighborhoods. And praise God for what you all are doing, leaning in to the Great Commission. I see it right there on the wall, and I see that statement right there that you all put on that side of the wall. So when you come to church today, you ought to have no doubt what this church is about. And praise the Lord that you don't have to look far for what the Lord wants this church to be about. Because you can have a lot of strategy meetings, and I, I love strategy conversations. I, I teach classes on leadership. But the reality is this, is we know who's in charge of the church. Amen? It's the Lord Jesus Church. One of the tremendous statements from our Lord about our mission as a church. Now, here in Ecclesiastes 3 today, and I know you all have been uh, walking through Ecclesiastes, and you still have a little ways to go, all right? And in chapter 3... I want to talk with you today about, about what I'm just calling this, how to handle the seasons of life, how to handle the seasons of life. I mentioned that I would try to introduce my family in a moment. I'm going to put a picture up here, guys, if you would, of, of my children. I think I sent you all a picture of them. And, and, uh, and this was taken this past Christmas. And on the right side of the picture is, is my wife's name is Jennifer. That's our youngest daughter. That's Jenna. She's now 16. I had to email the insurance company last night because this week she goes live. The Commonwealth of Virginia has seen fit to allow my youngest daughter to drive a vehicle by herself. And I've been fighting against it, but my wife says it's going to happen, all right? And my wife's done most of the training of our children to drive. My wife says if, if it weren't for her, none of our children would know how to drive a motor vehicle, all right? And, uh, but my wife does a lot of carpool and a lot of shuttle around. She says she can drive. She can drive. And so we're doing that. So pray for me in that regard. That's the stage of life I'm in right now. To the left of her is our son. He's 21. He just finished up his junior year. He goes to college in South Carolina, North Greenville University. He, he plays ball for them, and he's a pre-med major. He takes the MCAT this Saturday. His, his dream is to go to medical school, be praying for Mark. And uh, we were down at graduation this week because his girlfriend graduated. And so it's interesting to be in that stage of life, right? And then to the left of Mark is our oldest daughter, Melissa. She's 23. And just last weekend, she celebrated her first year of marriage. She's working this weekend. She's a hospice nurse. And this is her weekend that she has to work. But, but her and to the left of her is what's his name. Um, that's my son-in-law. No, that's Jonathan. He, he's been coming around the house since they was 16 years old. And um, so he, uh, he's, he's, he keeps coming around. And uh, anyway, so that's Jonathan. He's a good young man. I say that with all the love in the world, just kind of picking a little bit there. And he's, he's gainfully employed too, amen? And, um, and so uh, they just bought a house, and uh, they have a six-month-old puppy. So yes, 
I'm also a grandfather and, uh, uh, of, of a grand dog, and I'll see her this afternoon because we'll be watching her probably. But anyway, I say all that to say just to illustrate that if you ever feel like you're going through various stages of life, and I don't know where you are right now in your stages of life, I feel like I'm in the middle of some, all right? And, uh, and how do you deal with it? In the past couple of weeks, I've really been studying Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I've preached through Ecclesiastes before, but Ecclesiastes is kind of a tricky book because at certain times as you're reading through it, Pastor Jay and I talked about this just the other week. In fact, he made a comment to me. He said, you know, it's a little bit like you kind of start seeing, it seems like he's kind of telling you the same stuff over and over again. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Solomon is kind of trying to work some stuff out in his life at this later stage of life that he finds himself with. And I think he's trying to figure out how to deal with the passage of time. He's trying to figure out how to make sense of these stages of life or these seasons of life or this cycle of life, if you will. And we all deal with aging or stages of life in different, different manners. In fact, I read this little little example of how sometimes we just deal with aging, for instance. If, if, you're, if you're younger than 10, if you, ask a, if you ask a child that's younger than 10 their age, they'll often use fractions. You ever notice that? They'll say, I'm four and a half. I'm five and three quarters. People never say they're 37 and a half. They just don't do that. Teenagers, they'll, they'll skip years. They'll say, I'm going to be 16. People never usually say, I'm going to be 40. We just don't do that. And then, then you turn 21. It sounds like a ceremony, doesn't it? You become 21. Then you turn 30. It sounds like bad milk. You turn. You turn 30. And then you're pushing 40. You know, you, you reach 50. You make it to 60. You hit 70. <laughs> 80. David, that's day to day. You hit Wednesday, you know. I mean, you, you, you get to 430 or bedtime. Then, then, then some folks make it to, to, to their 90s, Mr. Hobbs. You know, and then sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll say backwards. They'll go, I was 93. And then those very few centenarians, those very few people who make it to 100 years of age, it's almost like they become a kid again. Often they'll say things like, I'm 100 and a half. Loved ones, I just, I just share that with you because when Solomon begins Ecclesiastes, do you remember what he said in chapter 1? In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, he, he exclaims, meaningless, meaningless. And then, though, after these dozen chapters, let me tell you where this is going. After he has cried out, meaningless, meaningless, and tried to make sense of this, when he gets to the end, in Ecclesiastes 12, he will say these words. He will say, remember your creator, fear God, and keep his commandments. In between those verses of meaningless, meaningless, and fear God and keep his commandments. And remember your creator. In between those verses, those bookends of Ecclesiastes, you really are reading in God's inerrant word, Solomon's honest reflections and his working it out as God works in his life, helping him to understand that in the midst of his wealth and his fame and even his power and the majesty of, of what his throne 
and his reign was. We just saw yesterday the coronation of King Charles in England. Loved ones, the point of Ecclesiastes is there is a God and we're not him. We desperately need to know that the Lord God reigns. And here is what we know because we've read the rest of the book. And what Solomon must have longed for because of knowing the prophecies of the Old Testament, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ came as God incarnate. And he indeed is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the one that makes it possible for us to make sense of this life and for us to have peace with Almighty God. So we're going to zero in on this today, and I'm going to give you four handles, if you will, or four strategies in a very practical way to just try to let us walk out of this room today knowing that in the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the grace shown to us through God Almighty, through the Lord Jesus Christ, you can handle the seasons of life, and you can share this good news with others. So the Bible says this. Let me read through the text, Ecclesiastes 3. For everything there is a season... And a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. Do you see how this is going here? Back and forth. Back and forth. A time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek, and a time to lose. A time to keep, and a time to cast away. A time to tear, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love, and he says even a time to hate. A time for war, and a time for peace. These seasons, this cycle of life... He's sharing with us something very obvious here, isn't he? If we're honest about it, we know that is exactly how, from the human perspective, it seems that this journey goes. And so he asks the question in verse 9, What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart. Don't forget that part yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And then he says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. So we're going to dig into this for the next few moments. Let me pray. Father, I pray right now, Lord, Your blessing on the reading of your word. Thank you for these souls that you've brought into this room today. Father, I pray the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord God, you are my rock and redeemer. In Christ's name I ask it. Amen. You know, it said on Veterans Day back on November 11th, 1963, 60 years ago this fall, President John F. Kennedy was visiting Arlington Cemetery 
and he, and he looked over that rolling Virginia hillside from Arlington House, and this is what he said, quote, it is so beautiful, he said, I could stay here forever. Two weeks later, he returned in a flag-draped coffin. I read that Kennedy's favorite passage actually is from Ecclesiastes, that that was his favorite passage of Scripture, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, which begins with, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. Interestingly, you, you, you may have know this or you may have heard of this, that in 1963, the nation was singing a, singing a song and it was from this passage of Scripture, this and it was to a contemporary beat, folk singer, Pete Seeger, and then later the birds would, would take the song, turn, 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 and it would reach the top of the charts. It seemed that in the 60s there was this generation that was, that was wrestling with how to make sense of what was going on in life and in this world. Many have called that generation or that time period in American history a very troubled time. Why has this passage that you hold in your hands today it's endured through the ages as one of the oldest philosophical poems in all of literature, folks. It's certainly one of the most pensive, one of the most thought-provoking, introspective passages of all of God's Word. It's really a beautiful meditation that really seems to capture what all of us know down deep. And it's, in set, it's setting here in Ecclesiastes, it, it really follows the next thought in Solomon's mind as he works through this, as I was just describing to you in the introduction here. And as we really come to this third chapter, what I do want us just to acknowledge that it seems in a way that Solomon is almost seemingly wrestling very much with God here. He seems to kind of state the obvious in the first eight verses and then really exclaims with that question in chapter 9, what gain has the worker from his toil? It takes me back to the garden, doesn't it? It takes me back to Genesis when, when we see what happened in the garden and we see that all of a sudden that work that we were given for God's glory becomes toilsome, becomes hard. All of a sudden there's pain and there's anguish. Folks often have wrestled with seeing their loved ones go through hard times and adversity and sickness and suffering. I guess one of the most famous folks that ever, written, ever wrote about that was Rabbi Harold Kushner. He wrote, when bad things happen to good people. And, and I won't go into all of that. You can look, look him up on your own. But he, he wrestled with the conundrum that if God is almighty how can a good, and, and good, how can he allow these bad things to happen to good people? And he, he, he ultimately came to the conclusion that, yes, God is good, but that God had somehow kind of taken his hands off the steering wheel, if you will. And that God really wasn't exerting his sovereignty and his control anymore. Solomon, I think, reaches a different conclusion. I think Solomon does indeed conclude that God is sovereign and in control, irregardless of the imponderables that remain, if you will. Here Solomon sees God as present inside the fence with us, but not really seemingly to be helpful enough. He's really honestly wrestling with it here. And that's why, first of all, what I would remind us of today is this. Don't forget this. Number one, don't forget the faithfulness of God through the seasons of life. Don't forget the faithfulness of God through the seasons of life. He mentions he mentions here 14 opposite pairings, a time to be born, a time to die, 
a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. By the way, if you come from a farming family like I do, my folks are from southeast North Carolina, and farmers get this. Farmers understand that there's a time to plant and then there's a time to pluck. I think, I think for some of us that maybe we work in white-collar jobs or we work in the blue-collar world or we work in, in more of an industrial setting or we live in urban areas or suburban areas, if we're not careful, we'll kind of just gloss over these, these seasons, if you will. The average farmer, they understand, oh, there's a time to plant and there's a time to pluck. So let's make it more personal for us as Solomon does here in verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. As I have studied this passage this week, this has really gripped me in a personal way because one of my closest friends, a dear prayer, my dear prayer partner, Brother Sam, 20 years older than me, they were part of helping us plant the church that we started and I pastored for over 10 years. Sam went home to be with the Lord this past Thursday morning at 1014. My daughter, who's a nurse, happened to be with him at the house. I had stepped away from their home for just a few moments to have a meeting at 10 o'clock on the phone. And about 10.05, my daughter texted me and our pastor and said, I think it's getting close. And at 10.14, I got the word he had breathed his last. I hurriedly ended the meeting and got back to the house where I spent the past several days off and on as because really, in a way, I, 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 I feel like their family, um, they, they don't have any children of their own. And so I'd already told him and told his wife that, listen, I, I'm going to walk with you through this. And later this week, after we do the funeral tomorrow in, in the Richmond area, I'll take his widow down to Greenville, South Carolina, where we'll do another service in a graveside, and that's where he'll be buried. So I've been thinking about this. I remember when I first met him. You can look in the obituary and you see there was a time to be born and evidently there's a time to die. Where do we turn in times like that? This is what she said. This is what she said and later wrote in his obituary and she posted it on Facebook. She, Miss Marlene said this. They told me that when she was standing there at his bedside holding his hand, she said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? That's pretty plain spoken. And this, one of the most wonderful women of faith I've ever seen, right in that moment, she called it like it is. And I tell you, what gives me great hope is the fact that I know Mr. Sam and Miss Marlene have always clung to the faithfulness of God through the seasons of life. Isn't it interesting that the hospital nursery at Centera really isn't that long of a walk from the ICU? So what do we do when we find our times in these seasons, these obvious seasons, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together? That was probably a military metaphor back in their day. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep, cast away. You get the gist here, right? The poem, in a way, seems to kind of reveal almost this great absurdity of life that this activity seems to cancel that activity. 
14 pluses, 14 minuses. That adds up to zero, doesn't it? Birth eventually ends in death. Every planted crop is pulled up. Every building eventually is condemned. Every celebration gives way to a funeral. Every peace seems to give way to another war. Nothing is gained. If we just stopped there, if we just lived in that, in that section, he states the obvious. But we know there's more. And ultimately, ultimately, as Solomon at the end of the book reminds us and points us, you've got to remember who your creator is. And that's why, loved ones, in the full counsel of the Word of God, I'm telling you today, don't forget the faithfulness of God through the seasons of life. Some people grow bitter as they grow old. Others just go for what I call a Disney-esque seemingly philosophy of life, a kuna matata. There's a circle of life, and we sing these cutesy songs until we realize when we lay our head on our pillow at night, that's just a fairy tale, isn't it? Perhaps that's the reason that if we can afford it, we like to take those vacations and we like to watch our sports just because it's an escape. But we've got to remember, in the end, we must cling to the faithfulness of God. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. Just say that with me. God is faithful. That's one of the great reasons you're gathered here together today to sing these songs and to hear the word of God and to pray together and to, and to shake hands and to embrace and to encourage each other because on this Lord's Day we come together to remind ourselves of the great faithfulness of God. Lamentations, Lamentations 3, a book with a title that, that means mourning and grieving. Lamentations 3.22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So yes, on a time to be born, great is his faithfulness. A time to die, great is his faithfulness. Amen? Don't forget the faithfulness of God through the seasons of life. As the, old hymn, as the old hymn puts it, summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Don't forget the faithfulness of God in the seasons of life. Number two, don't forsake the purposes of God through the seasons of life. Notice what happens here in verse 9. He says, what gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made, then look at this, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also he has put eternity into man's heart. Eternity into man's heart. God's purposes, loved ones, understand this. God's purposes are intentional. God has a purpose as we walk through these seasons of life. God's purposes are intentional. He wants us to understand that, that there's a longing within us to make sense of what's happening. There's a longing within us to know that there must be more than just what I see with my eyes right here before me. C.S. Lewis in his classic Mere Christianity says, quote, Our Heavenly Father has provided many delightful ends for us along our journey, but he takes great care to see that we do not mistake any of them for home. Loved ones, know this. We're not home yet. We're but pilgrims passing through on this journey. 
God has put eternity in our hearts. You know, you can, you can visit all kinds of places where we're just beginning to reach them with the gospel. And missionaries would tell you that oftentimes when they go to a new field, a new area, there will be some sense or some vestige of them trying to make some attempt to express that there's more to this life than just the temporal nature of it. There are various expressions of eternity, if you will. Because loved ones know this, that God has put within our hearts this longing for eternity. I think one of the reasons as we go through these seasons, it is to remind us, and sometimes it is a stark reminder, that there is an eternity at hand here. And this life it has seasons, and we best remember that we are ultimately made for eternity. Oh, he's put eternity into man's heart. And then he says, yet so. <laughs> Did you see that in verse 11? Yet so, that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. You know, God's purposes are intentional. They're also mysterious. They're mysterious. Vance Havner used to say, God writes over some of our days, quote, we'll explain later. <laughs> you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. You, do you realize the question why, why occurs hundreds of times in the Bible? Have you ever asked why? Why, God? Why? I think Solomon in some respects is asking why. God's purposes can be mysterious, but never forget this. God's purposes are good. They are good. Look, look back at verse 11. He, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything that happens in our lives, don't forget this, has a purpose. And God makes it beautiful in its time. Don't forsake the purposes of God through the seasons of life. R really, what this verse 11 is here is it's a counterpart to a verse you have in the New Testament. It's a counterpart to Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God takes the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> and there can be his purpose in the midst of that. Pastor Brian's going to help me with an illustration here for a moment. And he's, he's, he's going he's to play a familiar tune to you on the piano. Jesus loves me. We're going to do, 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 do a little different first, Pastor Brian. First of all, play it in the white keys, and then, then, then we'll let you play it in the black keys. We're going to kind of split. Here's the white keys. Jesus loves me. Catch the tune, Jesus. Look, here's just using the black keys.
It's, it's a very subtle difference, but like the black keys, if you just them real close, they're a little sharper. They're a little, mm, it's a little more punch. And, and I look at it as the white keys, I kind of like, using it as an illustration, the white keys can be a little bit more like maybe the good times in life, you know? Time to be born. Those black keys, a little bit more to the face. Now we're going to put it together. It's richer, isn't it? Thank you, Pastor Brian. Here's, here's the point with that illustration. God takes what we go through, and in his purposes, he does indeed, he does indeed show us that he can do something beautiful. Perhaps that's why Paul later is inspired by the Lord and his inerrant word to write, we know that all things do work together for good to those who love God those who trust him, those who yield to him, those who look to him, to those who are called according to his purpose. So, so here, here's what I want to encourage you with as you go into tomorrow, by the way. Don't get too frustrated with your coworkers or with your classmates because here's, here's what it is to them. If, if they weren't doing what you're doing right now, worshiping the Lord, taking some time to kind of regroup, to in a way have a little sabbatical like you're getting today, <laughs> this morning. You, you, you know what they're on? They're, they're just on a constant rat race, friend. They're just constantly on that. And loved ones, here's the reality. There's not enough vacation days in the world to help. There's not enough booze. There's not enough whatever. The burden can weigh you down down to the point that God intends for you and me to cry out for help. What Solomon is working out here is ultimately what God's desire for Solomon would be is to understand, Solomon, there's not enough wealth, there's not enough women, there's not enough wine, there's not enough whatever in this world. You need me. Alistair Begg says, the burden maker can become the burden taker. And it's kind of like this. If you, were, if you were walking along a roadway or coming out of a store or whatever, and you had nothing in your hands, if you had nothing weighing you down, if you had no burden, it would be ridiculous for you to look at someone else and say, hey, hey, friend, could you give me a hand with this? That would be loony, wouldn't it? But if you're weighed down and you're burdened down, then it absolutely makes sense for you to look at someone and say, hey, could you give me a hand? And loved ones, let's not make, let's not make the mistake today of, of missing the fact that ultimately the Lord God of this universe, he wants you and me to recognize, and it's quite a simple thought. He wants us to put childlike faith in him. So, loved ones, I'm telling you, don't forget the faithfulness of God. 
And don't, and don't forsake the purposes of God. God has a purpose in the seasons. And then thirdly, don't miss this either. Don't, don't forfeit enjoying the blessings. There are blessings of God through the seasons of life. He, he goes on in verse 12, he says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful. He says, be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. Notice this, underline this, this is God's gift to man. Don't forfeit enjoying the blessings of this life. But understand this, joy begins with Jesus. Solomon says this in chapter 2. I don't know if you noticed it last week. Chapter 2, he says in, verse 20, in verses 24 and 26, he, he says there that, that, that the enjoyment of life is a gift that God gives to the one who is, quote, pleasing in his sight. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The way we please God is we put our faith, we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We surrender our lives to him. That's why John 3, 16 has become a verse that, that we celebrate, that we memorize when we're kids. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5, 1 and 2, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The reason that we can go through this life and understand ultimately that God's purposes are good is because we know that when it comes from, from times of joy and dancing to times of mourning, we realize we do not mourn as those who have no hope because our joy is grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, he says, do good. Loved ones, we can do good for the Lord. And that's all because of his grace, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He says be joyful, do good. And then in verse 13, also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Loved ones, I, I want you to know today, listen, enjoy the good gifts of the Lord. I know hardship can come. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it particularly these past few weeks. I saw it in my friend's life. In the last few words, I heard him speaking. My prayer partner's prayers crying out to God. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. But loved ones, I want you to know this. Brother Sam knew what it was to, to also enjoy the good gifts of the Lord. He did good for the Lord because his joy was in the Lord. Sam would enjoy a good meal. Sam enjoyed going to his timeshare with Marlene. He enjoyed hitting a golf ball. He enjoyed hanging out with friends. He enjoyed watching Clemson Tigers football. He knew how to also enjoy the good gifts of the Lord. So loved ones, I'm here to tell you, God enjoys your enjoyment. Go to a football game, spend time with your family, take a vacation, pursue an enjoyable hobby, but thank God for the blessings 
that he's so kind to pour into our lives. The Westminster Catechism has it right. Quote, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy him forever. This is God's gift to man. And then he says in verse 14, I perceive that whatever God endures forever, nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it. And here he begins to kind of go to that chapter 12 statement. He says it here in verse 14 of chapter 3, so that people fear before him, that people are in, are, are in awe of God. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Perhaps there's a lesson in there for us in our 21st century sophistication, in our comforts in this beautifully air-conditioned room today, in the comforts of our suburban lifestyle. Perhaps it is this, we must not fail to worship God through the seasons of life, loved ones. Don't you fail to worship him. I'll put it more bluntly. Here's a bottom line. Don't fear the seasons of life. Fear the God of eternity. When I'm talking about fear, I'm talking about understanding. We're talking about awesome God, our creator. The God of the universe. Almighty God. The scriptures are not bashful about this. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served. Joshua 24, 14. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Psalm 19, 9. You who fear the Lord, praise him, praise him. Psalm twenty two twenty three. 23. Walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Acts 9, 31. And that's why Solomon says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Think about a time or two I've been out in the middle of the ocean. And it's just mesmerizing, mesmerizing to see that deep, deep, that deep blue sea as long as you can look. I think about going and seeing the Grand Canyon in person. Took our family there one time. And, and you're speechless. The only thing I could do is trying to be, also try to... Just kind of going back to default as a preacher, I just opened up a Bible app on my phone, Pastor Brian, and just read from the Psalms for my family. I didn't know what else to say. And I think about when we went to Niagara Falls. If you've ever been there, it's worth the money to do the Maid of the Mist boat ride because when you come up to the bottom of those falls, you can't even, you can't hear the person next to you speaking. You're just overwhelmed by the awesomeness of this creation. Loved ones, here's a message for you. Enjoy God's creation, but make sure you worship the God of creation. Don't fail to worship God through the seasons of this life. I've given you four don'ts, but here's a do. Do have faith in our Lord God to see you through the seasons. Have faith in our Lord God to see you through the seasons. Praise God for the reality of keeping his promises, for sending God incarnate, the Lord Jesus, to pay for my sins Jesus said this in John 10. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I close with this little picture, this illustration I read in USA Today. That's a sheep. They named him Barak. Barak, Barak. Everybody say Barak. <laughs> 
That's Barak the sheep. That's not, isn't that sad looking right there? Let me just read this to you. They found him. They found this, this sheep. He had more than 75, 75 pounds of extra wool weighing him down. They did a video online of them cleaning him up. It had over, over 18 million views. They rescued him. They took him to a sheep sanctuary, gave him a long overdue shearing. This is a picture after the fact. <laughs> you realize if a sheep goes for a long period of time without adequate care, I was reading that the overgrown wool just can lead up to all kinds of infections and all. They found all kinds of stuff that he needed tending to. You know what they said? They said what he needed, what, what that sheep needed, he needed a good shepherd. And this is what, this is what Kelly Denham, who, who was one of his caregivers, said. She said, quote, he's doing so well today, surprising us really, and becoming more trusting too. We truly believe that he understands what we've done for him, has eased his life and turned it for the better. I share that story with you because here's the thing. Are you trusting Jesus to see you through the seasons? Jesus wants you to know he's your good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the shepherd that laid down his life for you. He's the shepherd that went to hell and came back. He's the shepherd that defeated death once and for all. It's because of that good and great shepherd that the Bible tells us in Revelation that the day will come when he will wipe away every tear and crying and mourning will be no more. Loved ones, I kind of imagine that Solomon could have only dreamt of what we know to be true. And that is God has answered our prayers. That's why tomorrow when I walk in, when I walk in with my dear friend's widow, we won't walk in as those who mourn with no hope because we have given our burdens to the great burden bearer. We will know that our good shepherd never leaves us nor forsakes us. So loved one, whom are you trusting today? Because make no mistake about it, the seasons come as surely as the seconds and the minutes tick by. That's life. The only real question that remains is who are you trusting as the Lord of your life? Who are you going to turn to? Who are you going to turn to in the seasons of life? I want to invite you to stand to your feet. Thank you for your patience as I've preached today. I just invite you to bow your heads in prayer and I know we're going to have some singing and they'll have folks available that you can talk with after the service. If you just want to pray right where you are, you may just want to come and kneel here, here in prayer and just hand some burdens over to the Lord. You can do that where you're standing. You can come and kneel here and pray. Let's make a prayer altar. I just want to pray for you right now. Heads bowed and eyes closed. And I first of all, just want you to know that if you've never if, you have, if, if, if you've never turned your life, if you've not turned your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ, repented of your sins and yielded your life, I want you to know I, I believe the day can be the day of salvation for you as you just yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and you pray and you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
Won't you do that right now? Just trust Him as your Lord and Savior. Surrender your life to Him right now. Others of you, you are followers of Christ. And maybe you just want to come and kneel in prayer. Maybe you want to pray for a loved one. Maybe you want to pray for someone suffering or pray for a lost friend. You can do that right now. Maybe you're looking for a church to connect with. I believe you found a, a good Bible-preaching, neighbor-loving church that you can be a part of. Won't you pray about becoming a part of connecting with this church in a deeper way? Father, I pray your blessing over this time of response now. May we know we can trust you no matter what time of day it is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.